this lesson today may be something very different than what you might expect. And you might even, you know, discipline of the cross, what in the world could that possibly be? There are going to be several aspects of this which may be a challenge to you. But I want you to walk with me with all of this. Thomas Akempis said, Jesus hath many lovers of his heavenly kingdom, but few bearers of his cross. Sometimes when you watch um, religious TV, which I do not recommend, seriously, I don't, but if you watch it, you will notice a triumphalism, like, oh, we've won, we've beaten everything now, and we're just, you don't get that in the, in the words of Jesus. You don't see that in his disciples. You see the words of the cross, of carrying your burden. We just came out of the season of Easter, and we told the stories we generally tell, usually tell, and that we should tell during that period of time. And we added to it that story of Lazarus to help illustrate what's going on with us and with God in Easter. But we need to talk about how do we live this side of Easter. The cross is the hinge point of history. That means everything on this side of the cross is different than it was on the other side. It's an event that changed everything. How we eat, sleep, think, treat each other, spend our money or save our money, or it changes everything. And I'd like to talk about a couple of ways that it does change, but also how it should change our story. And the fact is we are quite resistant to allowing the cross to change our story. We, we often love Jesus as Savior, but have a real difficult time with him as Lord. So let's talk about this. And self-confession has to be part of this. You know, uh, when I was a, a kid, the ministers always told us what we were doing wrong, and I, I, I thought they, they'd had it all sorted out. No, no, they don't. Easiest place in the world to hide is in a pulpit. So I, I like to weave in the self-confession as well. Cammy and I lived in a small village in the southwest of Scotland called Dundonald. And uh, our home opened up on the street. I mean, there was a wee bit of sidewalk there, uh, the pavement, as we call it, but um, that was it, the street. So you'd leave the house in the morning, walk down the street to the newsagent to buy the newspaper or to get some milk or the like. Uh, you'd see village people there, not the village people you're thinking of. Uh, so <laughs> stop that. But the, the people of the village, shall we say. Uh, but one day I, I left, and I think I was picking up a few of the groceries, or as they say in southwest Scotland, the messages. And I was walking back to my house, and here was something out of place. There's a tall young man with a pink mohawk and huge spikes. My first thought was, how do you, how do you lay on a pillow with that thing? But I found out they're not rigid. They're not rigid. And he uh, was slack-jawed. He was on some substance tall, thin, had staples and safety pins where they don't belong, and had, um, you know, the, the leathers and the like, and he's stumbling toward me. And my first, second, and third reactions were humor and revulsion, until it hit me as hard as anything ever has. Jesus hung as long on the cross for that young man as he did for you. And there's nothing in the world you can do that can make, this is God talking to me, that can make me love Patrick more than I love him. And it was a very humbling moment. And it was a moment I have never forgotten. Flash forward several years, we've moved to America. 
And I'm running a counseling clinic because I had to, uh, the people that were running it before, well, it wasn't this one. They had a clinic. As soon as I showed up in her county, they said, oh, great, we want to retire. So I ended up doing what I wasn't really wanting to do, but I was running the clinic. And I was kind of the guy of last resort, kind of the same as in my dating days. But I was, I was uh, when the other counselors wouldn't take you anymore or the doctors were concerned about what was going on, they sent them to me. Well, a judge sent me this man. His wife came with him. He had uh, been arrested a couple times for beating his children. But he claimed he had scriptural warrant for doing so. And you all know the Proverbs passages he'll run to uh, about you know, sparing the rod. You know, some people say, as the Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. It doesn't say that. It's not in there. But there are things about the rod of correction will drive foolishness. I... I tried to talk to the man about, that's not a stick you hit people with. That word, shavet, meant this is, a, this is a shepherd's crook to protect your child. It later became a Latin word, canon of scripture. It means teach them the law, teach them the rules, teach them what God's will is. But he kept saying, I, you know, I have the right to beat my kids and God told me to. And I was the last resort for this guy. If I, if the, if I didn't give a good report to the judge, he was going to jail. I don't know, prison, jail, whichever one. I had a hard time working with this man because of revulsion. I had a revulsion toward him. I caught myself being almost ill when I knew he was coming in. And when he came in, I was more angry at him than I was loving him. I had to force myself to visualize a cross between me and him. It was the only way I could deal with him in a Christian way, as I should have. And by the way, I didn't do him any good. And he had to be sent off to confinement, as he should have been, in my opinion, if he's not going to change. But that cross became a, a check on my pride, a check on my natural desire to be elevated above another human being. The cross was a reminder of my place in this universe. A necessary reminder that I am a servant, I am not a judge, and that it was me who caused the sin to be loosed in the world as much as anybody else. No, I didn't sin. I've not sinned as much as Hitler. That's where we always want to go, right? You know, well, I'm no Hitler. Well, good, good. Like to know where the bar is, uh, and, that's, uh, and, and you've made yourself good there. The fact is we have all sinned and fallen short, the scripture says. We've all sinned. I took to carrying a small metal cross in my pocket. It was not a fancy bit of cross at all. Somebody had just stamped out of sheet metal, thick sheet metals, and, and ground off the edges so it wouldn't cut me. Just a little cross to be put in my pocket. So when I reached in for change, I would always, it would be a reminder. A reminder of who I am and how I am to behave because of the cross, the reality of the cross. It reminded me of the story that changes everything. And I share these confessions with you in the hope that you might be able to use it in your own life. And even if you don't, that you might start catching yourself when you start being judgmental toward others. Or when you're just not loving. It may not be judgmental. It may not be a sin of commission. It might be a sin of omission, which is so easy to be done. As uh, Mike Roby was showing us, you know, you can, uh, you can go to Starbucks and they're talking on, you know, they're looking at phones not talking to each other. Well, yes. And by the way, Michael, Michael um, with the kids sitting next, the teens sitting next to the families, if they are, 
Um, it's actually the parents that will be doing less phone looking. I think the teens are better at keeping their phones in their pocket than the parents are. So uh, it, it's, you know, let's be honest now, right? I've seen it on pr family prayer time, people checking their social media, and I'm going, really? Okay. You know, unless you're on God's homepage, I'm not really sure that's what the thing is. But again, made being judgmental. When we're watching our phones and such, we often can commit sins of omission, not seeing, not doing, not caring for the people in front of us. And the cross requires that we keep our eyes open, watch and pray, Jesus said. There's also the matter of not only thinking about the cross and putting it between ourselves and others as a reminder, but there is the matter of carrying our cross. And we don't talk about this nearly enough. Look at Matthew chapter 16, starting verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever, that's a big group, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We, we could go on at some length here about how shocking a statement this would have been to them. We've heard it so many times, there's no shock to it. The cross was the worst thing that anybody could ever end up with. Walking by crosses was a reality, not an everyday reality, but enough to where people knew about crosses and were terrified, revulsed by them. It was horrific. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? There's a cost. Where, where do Christians get off thinking they don't have to pay a cost? They don't have to carry a cross, that somehow God will remove all crosses from us. In fact, way too many sermons, and I'm, I'm sure I've given the impression myself, give the impression that when you come to Jesus, all your burdens will be lifted. He didn't say that. He said he'd help you carry them, but he never said he'd take them. In fact, he said, you're going to have to pick up a couple more. Being a Christian has given me some burdens. I have to love people. And some of you are not lovable. There's no need for me to point. We all know who you are. I'm just kidding. I'm... In some small way, I'm kidding. Um, none of us are always lovable. One of the things I would, I, back in the day, I don't do it now because I don't have the time and it's not really my lean. But I would have to do the premarital counseling as well. And, and I would bring up, you need to remember you're marrying a person. And they don't wake up like they do in the commercials with their hair done and, you know, and, and happy and, you know, brushing their teeth while no suds. No suds. Have you ever noticed that? And the brushing the teeth thing. I'm going, how do you do that? That's a, when I'm done, it looks like a foam bomb went off in, in the bathroom. And uh, my, my wife would say amen, but she didn't like talking in church. So people are people. Not all of us are lovable. None of us are lovable all the time. But now I have to love you anyway. Being a Christian has created more burdens. I, I have to come and fellowship with people. I have to worship. We could put the word get in there. I get to come and I get to worship. But you understand why I'm putting the word have to? We get to, but it's not optional. Hmm. There are so many, I'm giving of my means to the church. There are so many other ways you could put this. 
we, we looked at the story last week of Lazarus. And Jesus loves us too much to ride to our rescue. He will not take these crosses. He says, pick them up and follow me. If you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for me, you will gain it. That has never been an easy phrase to hear. Never. Sometimes we even try to keep our kids from having a cross. We will do things for them that they really should be doing for themselves. And I've had parents say, if it takes forever. Well, if you're waiting on them. If you do it, you're releasing an unprepared person into the universe. They're not ready for reality. It doesn't matter that they're really great with video games or um, Snapchat or the like. They're going to have to realize when you get out, you start at this point. And then you have to work your way up. And it's a cross. It's a burden to carry. Let them learn how to carry a cross. But there are times. There are times that our hearts are broken by the world, yes, but by our own sin. If you've never experienced that, I'm not really sure the why. It could be that you're not paying attention to yourself. There, there can be a real problem living too much in your own navel, as we like to say, where you just never get out and think about other things. But some introspection is called for here. And some of the most powerful introspection in Scripture comes in Romans 7. So let's have a look at this. These are long passages we're reading because of necessity, we need to get the context. Remember, a text without a context is a pretext. You need to know what it's about. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Can we all agree there? God and his way are wonderful. We are not. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I know that feeling. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the, the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. That might be Paul kind of shoving off a little bit of the responsibility there. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. By the way, in the NIV, this is the NIV, and I use the NIV and I like the NIV. When you see the phrase sinful nature, that's not the word. The word is flesh, my mortal being. It is more of a commentary than a translation there, and I wish I hadn't done that. So I'm going to change the word. Let's go back. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my mortal nature, my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does anybody, is anybody vibrating at this same frequency right here? I certainly am. Uh, it's, it's like, Paul, were you in my head? Now, I do, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And again, I'm having, I, I have some issues with Paul saying, you, you kind of need to own up, Paul, and say, no, it's me. I made this, these are all judgments and decisions I made. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Wow, that's an amazing verse. And so true. So true. Uh, for in my inner being, 
I delight in God's law. In other words, on a philosophical level, but there's another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Wow. I love Romans 7 because it shows me that I'm not alone in this. Oh, I grew up in churches, though, that said this was Paul talking about what he was like before he became a Christian. But after he's become a Christian, he didn't have these struggles. I'm going, seriously? First of all, Paul's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he knows how to write in the past tense. I've seen him do it. This is continuing. This is a present tense. This is a movement forward in current time. Wow, you're not alone. If, you're, if you feel stuck in Romans 7, you're not alone. The good news is Romans 8. If Paul had stopped writing in Romans 7, I think we could all say, well, best of luck, and we just dismiss and let them have the rest of the pews. Um, by the way, people have asked me, why'd they take those pews and not those pews? They've told me, they've asked me, what are they doing with the pews? I don't know any of those answers. Why? I don't want to. I have another job. I'm not going to do construction. Uh, I'm going to let them handle all of this. So again, let's just let them take all the pews, let's sell the building, let's go home and sit down in, in a sackcloth and ashes and wait for punishment. But there's a Romans 8. Therefore, because of all of this, because God knows what state we are in, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have sorted it all out and have quit sinning. Oh wait, that's not what it says. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death was, you sin, you die, that's over. Jesus has removed that. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, this is not exactly vicarious atonement. And if you don't know what that phrase means, that's okay. We don't have time to go there today. It is not some of the standard teaching of the church. Frankly, Jesus died to show us not only our love, but also, or rather his love, but also our evil. And then to show us after the resurrection, we no longer need to fear death or judgment because the one who knows us best and has suffered at our hands still loves us and his first response is to forgive. That's the good news. That's the gospel. God did it by sending his son and so he condemned sin in the flesh. He did that by showing you don't have to. You don't have to sin. And it's, some sins I think are, are, are just such human nature that it's a hard thing not to do. But uh, most of them are our decisions. Most of my scars are self-inflicted. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, does that mean you're all sorted out now? No, it's, it's a forward movement. It's an asking, seeking, knocking. It's a we're following Jesus. We're not Jesus and we're not there, but we're following Jesus. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. We've all met them. We've all been them. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's one of our crosses. We pull up the cross. We get it in front of us. What does God want in this situation? 
What is my burden to bear in this situation? But the mind, the mind is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And we see that enough, do we not? Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And by, let's stop right there. It does not mean moral purity. If we back this thing up and start reading from Romans 6, it is referring to people who have been baptized. You were immersed with Christ. You have been raised with the Spirit of God. Even those of us caught in chapter 7, chapter 6 is reality, that chapter 7 is our life, chapter 8 is our true standing before God. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. They do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him, he loves to build arguments, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He will help you live as a Christian. He will get you through this. That is not saying he's going to give you eternal life. That was already stated. Life to your mortal bodies means he'll give you life now. He'll give your life purpose now. I'm glad he kept writing. But one of the ways we can be sure the spirit continues to live in us is by carrying our cross with faith and integrity. Some of you live with pain and disease. Some of you live with broken hearts, children who have deserted you, parents who have abused you, friends who, who hurt you, marriages that shattered. We could, go on, we could go on and on. But you carry your cross with such grace and dignity and integrity that you amaze me. And I think of you a lot. Our crosses take many forms, family, health, finances, job, mental state, we could... But one of the great truisms in psychology, and frankly, there aren't that many of them, is that what happens to you does matter. But what matters most is what you do with what happens to you. How you handle, to put it in another term, the cards you are dealt. I think of the tiny little church that has suffered much in Jennings, Louisiana. They went through Katrina and Rita, but... They also went through some church splits and some personality issues. And they, they, it's a tiny town full of very dark situations. A lot of drugs, a lot of poverty. They were burgled. The building was burgled. And most people don't realize this unless you've been a victim of crime. They don't come and just take stuff. They destroy what they leave behind in very gross and obscene ways. Well... The first I saw of it was when I saw a picture of their church sign. I go down there every year or so and have since Katrina. And I saw a picture they sent me of their church sign that said, To the burglars, we forgive you. So I immediately got in touch. And I said, how much was hurt? How much was taken? And they told me. They told me the price. And so I put up on Facebook saying, can you help? And they, the, my friends on Facebook took care of the deductible. Yeah, immediately, which was amazing. I, I did, it was just, I love to see God at work. But there's an example. They were poor already, 
and then they were hit with this. But their first response was to forgive and to do so publicly. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But God requires, and by the way, that's a cross. This is a cost to them. Overcomers bear a price for overcoming. God requires more from you than just carrying a cross. He tells you you have to help others carry theirs. Galatians 2, another longer reading than normal. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 6, 7, and 8 were all about what's walking in the Spirit, following the law of Christ. How do you do it? Help each other out. Carry each other. Amazing. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Oh, boy. Each one should test their own actions. Now, that's pretty good. Don't tell somebody. Don't test another. You test yourself. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word, and that's about Jesus, should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing or doing good. Sorry, I'm reverting back King James. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. To live as Christ, to live in the Spirit, means you carry your cross with dignity, honor, and grace, but you also help others carry theirs. During the Dark Ages, we used to call them, they have new terms for it now, the Catholic Church of Rome was unable to grow in mainland Europe, and the brilliant book by George Hunter III, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, maps all this out. During those hundreds of years, not one new Roman Catholic church building was, was built and successfully a church launched. But the Irish church, often called the Celtic church, they built churches all over Europe. When historians study why they were successful, it's because they didn't go and build a building. They went to where the people were, the most populous place, and they would start helping the people bear their burdens. Digging wells, building homes, caring for the sick, whatever the burden was, even protecting them from raiders. There were warrior monks that had swords that would, again, carry their cross by stepping forward. And people then flocked to them, learned how to believe, learned how to be Christian, and then the building would be built. And because of that, they kept the lights on during the Dark Ages. They carried their crosses and then carried others. The first Christian emperor of Rome, Constantine, and I'm using the term Christian advice uh, with some quotation marks because I'm not really sure where he was in his dedication, reported he saw a vision in the sky of a cross that said, uh, translated, in this sign you will conquer. Now, I would have some real issues with somebody that said, I saw a cross that called me to go launch an invasion and go beat up these people. I'd have some real issues with that. But the whole concept of with the cross, 
you can conquer, not in physical war, but in spiritual, I'm all in. I'm all in. In that sign, we conquer. For centuries, Christians have made the sign of the cross. Now, we don't do that. And we'll say it's not part of our tradition. And, and we're right. We're right. It isn't part. But there's a beauty to that. Sadly, some of the beauty and purpose has been left behind in long drawn out arguments about two fingers, three fingers, left to right, right to left. It's amazing what we will find to argue about. I stood here waiting for the kids from uh, the preschool to go out and play a couple weeks ago. It was one of the best days of my life. They're all standing there. Teacher is on her last nerve. I don't know what happened that day, but this has not been why she got into this job. And she's looking at him with a bit of a glare, and that's very unusual if your kids go here. It, it is happy, happy time here. But this has been a hard day, evidently. And she said, we're going across to play. Where are we now? We're going across there to play. And don't touch the mulch. Now, there's a story behind that. I don't know it, but I really like to think about it. She says, there'll be no touching the mulch. And all the kids are looking, and one after another, one goes, and no eating the mulch. And she goes, well, no, but you can't eat the mulch if you don't touch it. No throwing mulch. You can't throw it if you're not touching it. She's, the teacher's trying, but they all with one accord, and no putting mulch in your pocket. And it goes on and on. I'm just going, these are my people. I was so happy to see these people. It was wonderful. We will find a way to argue about something which is a simple sign of prayer and beauty. The sign of the cross is a valuable action because ritual is important. Ritual is important. The physical absolutely has an effect upon the spiritual. Paul put it in very plain terms when he warned the people saying, when you go out and join your body to that of a prostitute, your soul, your spirit, your, you are linked with them in the metaphysical now. I go, wow. Wow. What you do in the body absolutely has a real and lasting effect upon your spirit. And therefore, the cross, remembering the cross, carrying the cross in our pocket, these aren't little things. These are big things. Making the sign of the cross is not a superstitious good luck charm. I don't think this does anything to keep the devil off me or me from running after the devil. But it does stop and make me remember who I am, whose I am, and what I'm supposed to be carrying. And I will confess to you something I've never said publicly, that when I pray over little babies and when they're handed to me, I normally don't touch babies in this thing because I've touched a lot of you and I don't know where you've been. But when I'm in a private situation and a family hands me their baby, as I pray, I will mark the sign of the cross on her forehead. To me, it's not a good luck charm or a seal. It's a reminder. It reminds me of who these little ones are and whose they are. They belong to our God. There's a... I've got to wrap this up quickly. I didn't know I was going to go this long. Neither did you. We're all surprised. Well, Mark isn't. The rest of us. Um, <laughs> in Ezekiel 9, a, a really troubling chapter, by the way. In Ezekiel 9, 
God tells his executioners to enter the land, but not touch any of those who have a mark on their forehead. And that mark indicates they are appalled at the obscenities in their culture. But all others are to be killed. It's a very troubling chapter. In Exodus 28, God puts a mark on Aaron and all of his people saying, that mark on your forehead will let me know and remind you that you are a priest. Now, it's an invisible mark, but it's a reminder. Revelation 9, verse 4, we too are marked. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant of the tree, but only those people who did not have the seal, the mark, the sign of the king on their foreheads. But God is not the only one going around making a mark. Revelation 13, and verse 16. It also forced, this is the beast, all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. That probably refers to emperor worship, but if we're honest, it's easy to trade away our convictions to get along with the world that is full of obscenities. And God says, I got a mark on you. Watch out that that's not pulled and a different mark put on. Mark, would you bring your team up? So, I carry... A cross. I'm not going to step all the way down. We've been asked to stay on the stage because people in the balcony can't see us, and I'm short enough anyway. So it's like, where not, where's the voice coming from? I didn't think, can't be God. He doesn't have an accent. I have so many stories about that. Anyway, <laughs> so I, I imagine the cross. I often carry a physical cross. I do not wear one as a rule, but I, I have no issues with that. But I also certainly do carry my cross. And I know what those crosses are. I have more than one. You may do as well. I pray that I do so honorably. I pray that I do so with nobility and integrity. And that I carry it with love. But it's also my job and your job to help us carry each other's crosses. To help us go home. I quietly go through the ritual. Sometimes alone making the sign of the cross to remind myself that I'm a warrior who is ready to die and that I serve a God who will give me life. It was a reminder of the ultimate, ultimate part of our story, the hinge point of history. May God remind us of our cross and the story and our calling. Would you stand please?